Welcome to the wonderful world of Heroes and Droids, a Disney fan podcast brought to you by Gruesome Magazine. I am your host, John Slattery, and we are here to talk about all things on Disney+, Plus, whether they be Disney, the superheroes, or Star Wars droids. All right, joining me are my two co-hosts, Christopher Slattery and Christopher G. Moore. All right, let's start off with my son. Christopher Slattery, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to talk about everything Disney Plus. I'm so happy with the service so far. And this is just this has been a great day. It it has been a great day. Uh we are recording this on uh November 12th. Uh Disney Plus launched today and we are incredibly excited to be uh not only watching all the content <laughs> well we're not going to watch it all at once because that would be insane but you know, we'd try, uh, but to uh, witness the Mandalorian uh, season one, episode one that uh, premiered as well. This is the first Star Wars live action TV show uh, series. <laughs> there are been specials, but this is the first series. And uh, we're going to be reviewing each and every episode as it premieres over the next uh, nine weeks. And uh, joining us uh, is our other co-host, Christopher G. Moore, who is one of the biggest Star Wars fans I know. Uh, so Christopher G. Moore, I would imagine you are incredibly excited about today and seeing the Mandalorian. Uh, man, do I want to see Morian of the Mandalorian. That's all I got to say. Uh, OMG, as the young kids say. Um, oh, yeah. I, I watched it this morning. Uh and I felt like a little kid again. This is, yeah, I'm this to me, this is worth the price of subscribing to Disney plus just to see this uh, and this, to see the story that's unfolded with this series. Uh, this, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. And I'm like, really excited to talk to you guys about it. Uh, the excitement is swelling. Uh, this is what we're going to be talking about tonight on this episode is uh, season one, episode one of The Mandalorian, titled Chapter One. Hey, you know, <laughs> it's a title. <laughs> it's a title <laughs> uh, directed by Dave Filoni, written by John Favreau. And uh, we'll get into all the stars and everything. But before we do, uh, we want to uh, mention ExpressVPN, who is our official sponsor. The show is brought to you by them, making it all possible. And if you do not know what a VPN is, it is a virtual private network, which is a secure tunnel between your device and the internet. And in this day and age, it is something that is uh, very important to have and something to consider. And ExpressVPN is one of the top-notch options out there uh, to uh, to to download and use. I even discovered over the weekend that it's available on my Fire TV. I did not know that. You did not know that? I didn't know that you could actually download uh, an ExpressVPN app. No. It would, but that's awesome. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Yep. So I, I see one of these in my future. <laughs> uh, so check it out. Uh, it's uh, gruesomemagazine.com slash try express VPN, all one word. And uh, that's what you're going to get. Rock solid privacy at blazing speeds, no compromises. Uh, it's going to protect your identity. It's going to, uh, everything is secure. So uh, it's going to uh, go a long way in, in, in uh, keeping your identity and your, I guess your, your, it also makes you anonymous, right? So, Makes it more difficult for them to uh, them them the the bad them to uh, come and find you. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. <laughs> all right, let's dive into it. The Mandalorian. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to get into a lot of things. We're just going to kind of uh, beat around the show. We're going to talk about all the you know all the highlights and everything. We're not necessarily going to go running through each and every uh, plot point, but uh, we're going to give our impressions and we're going to give our thoughts about what we saw. We might nitpick a little bit, but I have a feeling we're going to love, love, love what we saw. Uh, So let's do a round table straight out of the gate and give, uh, give everybody our first impressions of the first episode. Uh, And while you're at it, share uh, 
what the environment was in which you watched it. <laughs> I want to know, <laughs> did you watch it at work? That's what I'm asking. Christopher G. Moore, start us off. Um, well, if my job is listening to this podcast, I, in quotation marks, I did not watch it at work. Wink, <laughs> wink. Uh, I, I did try to watch it at home before I left for work, but the, um, the, my Amazon, uh, uh, device was not working. And evidently a lot, there was a lot of people had initial issues, uh, with, uh, Disney plus on different devices. Cause I actually even tried to, to pull up uh, new hope and it said that it's, it was not available at this time. Um, so I ended up pulling the app up on my phone and I was able to download it. And, uh, during a break quotation mark, uh, <laughs> I watched the episode at work on my phone and, uh, it was amazeballs. Uh, you know, I, I'd heard about some of the technology, this this new technology they're using to create some of the effects and uh, to create the backgrounds and stuff. I was really blown away um, because I think I think you watch some of the the some of the recent feature films, and you can sort of tell in some instances that the backgrounds are fake or these type of things. And uh, from the very opening scene to several different scenes, the effects was really well done to where you felt like these characters were in these different environments. And I think this this first episode proved to me that I want to see more stories of characters that we don't know that are in this familiar universe, but you know, meeting these new characters in these new environments. And 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 in this, it's almost like. I think I described it. This is this this series is more cantina than space opera. It's more it's more of a almost like a samurai western. It's it's a combination of a lot of the uh, spaghetti westerns and some of the Japanese uh, like Akira Kurosawa type stuff as well. Um, it has some of the elements of it, and uh, yeah, these new characters, this Mandalorian character, you, we get to learn a little bit more about this the Mandalorian type stuff, which we kind of learned a little bit from the Clone Wars stuff. Um, just as, as the story unfolded, you know, and and again, this is this attacks it from the realm that some of the stuff that Lucas tried to erase with like the rogue Han Solo type stuff. This character shoots first, <laughs> you know, he does not pause, you know, he shoots first. Uh, and I, I was kind of surprised with this being released on Disney Plus. You know, I realized the amount of violence is in the Star Wars universe when you have a character that's implied that he's cut in half and things like that. Um, but yeah, y- y- you see the emotion of this main character. You see all these different types of characters, and uh, it being directed by Dave Filoni, who who helped craft a lot of the Clone Wars type stories. You can see he has a firm grasp on telling a good Star Wars story and bringing it into live to, to the live action universe. So um, I was really blown away by this first episode. This makes me very excited for future stories told um, in this series. And um, really just, it makes me kind of excited for other stories that are told about characters that we don't know about in the Star Wars universe. So I think this, this blew me away even more than I could have expected. Now we all want to know we're on pins and needles, Christopher. Did you cry? Uh, I got a little emotional. Yeah. In parts. That's all say that much. Um, Pretty special, right? Pretty special. Oh, it's very special because more than anything, this feels like a, a pure connection to the original trilogy, you know, and there's a lot of, and the funny thing is, there's a lot of references to a lot of other films. You know that there's there's a creature that's like Salacious Crumb from uh, that's who it was, yes, Return yes, of the yes, Jedi. Yes. That you kind of feel bad for the, <laughs> this little creature is looking at another creature on a Spitfire as he's turning, and I was like, oh, I feel kind of bad for this little creature. You know, you have things like that. There's references to the to the Star Wars holiday special of all things. 
because uh, there's a mention of Life Day. There's a mention of, of, I mean, the rifle that he uses is actually from that animated cartoon from Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, him riding the beast. Um, I, I think even the, uh, there's even references to the Mythosaurus, which I think is the creature he rides. I mean, there's a lot of things that are references to other films, um, you know, from the land speeder, you know, there's all kinds of different things. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's got action. It's got suspense. It's got great characters. Werner Her- Herzog is amazing as that creepy mm. dude with, with, with his like, Stor- you know, dirty stormtrooper <laughs> crew. Uh, I don't know. There's like so many, there's so many depths of, of there's so many layers to all the stuff that's happening in this because you see you definitely see the underbelly of the Star Wars universe much more than you've seen in any of the films and that's the amazing part of it. Yeah, Herzog and the Dirty Stormtroopers. There's a band for you. All right, Chris Slattery, <laughs> uh, what was your first impression and uh, did you watch this at work during a break or anything? Yes. <laughs> so I first watched it during my lunch break. Um, I uh, watched it on my phone just like Christopher G. Moore did. And uh, I was blown away. I was so into it that I completely missed um, one of my coworkers trying to get my attention um, during lunch break to ask me a question. Um, I it was it was so in, enjoyable and so mesmerizing. Like I was able to get lost in this world that they created, which I found absolutely fascinating and a lot of a lot of everything looked to me at least what what impressed me the most is that every a lot of the effects looked very practical so the the amount of cgi i feel like in this in this episode is very low compared to some of the more recent star wars films um and it might just be because a lot most of the actors and stuff are actual are actual human based rather than creature based and the um, the creatures that are there are um they they did a fairly decent job with uh um with the cgi on them i know christopher you have one thing you want to bring up later about the cgi but mm-hmm. uh with the uh with the creatures but i personally think they looked fantastic um most of the time and they i was just i was so i was just so in uh, i i can't even think of the right word like i was just so overwhelmed with how how well they built this world um and if i do have any nitpicks and it's very hard to find a nitpick for me i feel like my I feel like it would have to be that opening scene was so, was so dark that it was hard to watch on my phone. I had to turn the brightness all the way up, but everything was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, I I had a great time watching this as well. So I'll, I'll paint the picture. <laughs> I was at work. I will admit it. Uh, at forty minutes, uh, this made uh, it was perfect to squeeze into a lunch break. So I grab my lunch. I go into my office. That helps. I can close the door, turn out the lights, fired it up on the browser, put on my headphones, and sat there, ate my lunch, and watched this episode. Uh, and I I I couldn't believe how. Okay, so I've been wanting a Star Wars television show for it seems like eons, right? It's just like why don't we, you know, why why can't they make an episodic TV show about this? It just seems perfect. So yeah, it's something that could either be incredibly fantastic or it could be a disaster, right? It could it could go just wrong. It could, it could pick the wrong kind of things to talk about, to, you know, and and miss the whole point. Um. Yeah, holiday spell. We're you know just yeah okay could happen. Good news is this is incredible. It is fantastic. Uh, the Mandalorian character, uh, they for a character that you never see his face, so you never get emotion in the normal way, right? It's all body language or 
actions, right? Um, you get to know this character and his motivations and um, uh, so when it gets to the final scene, you understand why decisions are made and what and and what he's doing. It and and that's the writing in here is incredible. Just the right setting it up with all kinds of uh, um, great scenery, great uh, the great pacing. Um, it it really blew me away. It really blew me away. And there's it felt. Even though it felt like a Western, like you said, like a Western or a Kurosawa kind of film, it it still felt very much Star Wars, right? It, it almost, and it felt more like the original trilogy, Star Wars. It, it had that feeling. It had that flair. More so, and I think the current films have. Um, I enjoy the current films quite a bit. Uh, even Rogue One, even Solo, I enjoyed. This This really is on par with the best of that it, it this is real this is for this is movie quality storytelling and it is incredible it it tells you so much lets you know what's going to happen it lets you know what's going to happen but not exactly what's going to happen it makes you want to know you know okay we know your decision what's that going to do because you just turned your whole world upside down right um but there's there's some things in here that uh color the mandalorian that I, I I really loved um, his how he despised droids and then finds himself in a very particular position <laughs> with IG eleven um, IG eleven let's just say IG eleven was fantastic um, all the characters you know Werner Herzog as the client I hung on every word he said but he could talk through the entire film it, it was a metro show he he was perfect in this and he, was, and he was the right character there's this fantastic uh, nick nolte is the voice of uh, uh cool cool quill quill i think it's quill um there's a couple of surprise people that i, I had to rely on christopher g moore to tell me who they were i didn't really know uh but it's amazing what they achieve and um it has that adventurous flair to it that uh you know, reminding me of uh, seeing Star Wars for the first time. Well, you know how it starts out with this big battle, and then you you know you kind of swoop around. And it, even though this really isn't in space that much, it's it's it, for a brief moment they're in space, but most of the time they're on a, one planet or another. It it still feels it, it just they just captured it. The direction is fantastic. I, I, I guess I'm not really as uh, familiar with Dave Filoni as uh, maybe the two of you are with his uh, his work on on the animated shows. But yes, he understands this property. That is proof here. And if he he needs to graduate from this to be making a, a feature film because he'll he'll knock it out of the park. He gets it. This is a, this is good stuff. Good stuff, and I can't wait to see the rest of the episodes. It's going to be such a thrill. That and was this the first time we've ever seen a toilet in Star Wars? It it <laughs> is and it isn't. Was that was that? Because <laughs> I because I I think that's the first time I've heard. Maybe I just maybe they've mentioned it in maybe the animated series or something, but I've never heard the phrase back tube before. Back tube. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it makes it, it's obvious what he means. I need to use the back and use the back tube. Uh, and then you see it, and I'm like, I, f- I feel like in any of the live action stuff, that's the first time we've seen an actual toilet. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. In the live action, that is the first time. It was mentioned in one of the animated films. I looked this up. It's great. Ah, okay. um, Wedge Antilles got stuck on one and cornered. In one of the rebels, was he in rebels? One of the, either rebel. I think it had to be rebels, right? Wedge and Tilly's. So yeah, there's a lot of animated stuff buried in this. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I was connected. Well, I mean, with Dave Valoni directing, of course, it's going to be connected too because he's very knowledgeable about everything Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, to me, I just thought that was funny. I feel like the live action world—that's the first time we've seen that. Uh, I did, we had that, the character that you mentioned, you didn't know 
uh, we talked offline is uh, Horatio Sands plays the uh, the bounty guy, the the guild bounty guy, and uh, I didn't even know it was him. I, I would never have known that was him. Uh, but there's a lot of humor involved with him because he talks about like. Uh, I need to use the bathroom because I'm molting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's like a lot of TMI stuff involved with him using the bathroom. There is. There is. Can we also take a moment to think about like how like weird it is that it's like just kind of out in the open, but also it makes sense that it's just out in the open right next to the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I you think so? Because if you you know if you got to go, you got to go. You don't want it to be the the very back of the ship, <laughs> next to the guns too. So yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> gotta be next to the guns just in case, right? Uh, yeah. So um, uh, let's pause for a second and say, all right, if you've listened to this and you haven't seen it, um, you have our first impressions. You've you a couple characters have been revealed. It's going to get pretty dangerous if you haven't seen it because I have a. There's no way to talk about our reaction to this particular episode without spoiling it. So from here on in, uh, spoilers will be wild and free, um, especially when we get to talking about the finale, which we have to talk about and have to kind of take that somewhere else. So um, this is your warning: if you haven't seen Mandalorian. You know, all three of us loved it, and uh, there is uh, no reason you should not be watching this right now. If you're listening to this podcast, go watch The Mandalorian, and uh, uh, and then come back. Uh, so from now on, from right here on, we are going to be doing spoilers uh, at any given time. Uh, let, let's talk about the client because I did, I was really fascinated. Now the client is shown later because, you know, we get a couple scenes before and we even get, we even meet uh grief Garga, right? Carl Weathers, who was fantastic. And Carl Weathers uh, sends our Mandalorian played by Pedro Pascal over to the client played by Werner Herzog. And uh, we, we get to see some familiar things, right? We see the funny little eyeball thing that comes out. That's like from Jabba's palace. Uh, that great, I loved you know, that, isn't that fantastic? And then there's like the the walking droid that was in the door when it opened. You mm-hmm. know, the big walking feet, and of course, Christopher G. Moore, dirty stormtroopers. What's going on here? What's going on with these with this with the client and the stormtroopers? Is he imperial or is this a fraction? Are they stormtroopers for hire? Are they just? goons that have store trooper outfits because they stole them what what's up with these guys that was my first thought is uh they're just goons that have found like stormtrooper outfits well i don't know i i think i think with the um with a lot of the empire breaking apart uh, after the events of return of the jedi i think um you know, you might have these leftover stormtroopers that just still have their armor, but still find other things to do because they're not really under Imperial rule anymore. So I think they will be no different than, you know, any other people that have worked. They may still have the semblance of their previous jobs, but because uh, I think you have a lot of gray areas, especially with this universe where you have people who are playing both sides. I mean, later on, we'll get this, meet this Jenna Carino character who used to be a shock trooper who's now, you know, doing her own thing, but, you know, being almost, almost like a bounty hunter, so. Right, not in this episode, but in the upcoming episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know what the client's doing. Now, obviously, you know, we think the client's doing something at first. You know, he's after a bounty that's 50 years old, right? And, of course, he's giving uh, some precious medals back to the Mandalorian that's from his... Uh, culturally from the past that is very valuable to him. So it's, it's well worth, you know, going into it. But he, um, when we, you know, when, when the finale happens, we, we learn that there's, there's something else going on here. Is, is, is this, and he, of course he also has the medallion, right. That has the, the symbol on it. Right. So I, I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to place where this guy is, you know, where is, where is he sitting? Uh, but maybe they're, that's the point. There is no allegiance at this. It's like you're saying, Chris Rogers, he's for himself. Well, I think that's, I think that's the main thing. We, we're the universe is much because of 
because before you had a because it all comes down to the balance of the universe. You know, you have good versus bad. And once the empire was dispelled and a lot of the, or not dispelled, but broken apart. And then like the Jedi's are, you know, aren't as big of an influence anymore. So everybody's for themselves and everybody's in a sort of a gray area and everybody's doing their own type of thing. And so it becomes, it becomes almost like a lawless world. Like the old West was you know, where everybody's for themselves. They're all trying to find ways to make money or find some thing that they can latch on to, to find some kind of success with. Yes, I agree. Christopher Slattery, uh, four to one. Are those good odds? <laughs> Normally, no, but with um, the Mandalorian character, I would say uh, four to one is um, way more in the Mandalorian's favor than, <laughs> That's the, right. than in the four's favor. Uh, I mean, we but, saw him take on, what, four or five at the very beginning all by yes. himself? So, I mean, and Stormtroopers always miss, so... <laughs> That's true. That's true. He's got that to his advantage. Uh, uh, the point being, uh, some great dialogue, right? That that line and the line about uh, you, I can I can take you in warm or I can take you in cold. Some great lines in this. Um, I love the writing in this. Uh, but I want to find out, Doctor Pershing, Omid Abtehi. Is that anywhere close to his name? We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with it. Oh, forgive me. Uh, plays Doctor Pershing comes walking in. Um, any 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 ideas who this character is and what's going to happen with him? Any any anybody want to guess? Um, my first, and uh, uh, I don't have any good grasps actually. A part of me kind of thinks that he might just be some random scientist that the Imperials had, like under in under hostage or something along those lines if these are actually imperials but then again he he might just be the like the actual big brains behind these this like group of people i i don't know he's he is a very mysterious situation well i think the tricky aspect of it is it ties into the end of this episode uh, what he's being used for or what his, you know, because evidently his expertise is, is going to tie into the bounty that uh, the Mandalorian is going after. Yeah. And, um, that's, and that's exactly why I thought that he might've been a prisoner of some sort forced to be like research what the bounty is. Well, he's sort of like Mads Mikkelsen's character in Rogue One to where he's being a force to create the Death Star, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe they're holding his family hostage, you know, to do something. You know, evidently he's being used. And I think somehow the bounty that they're going after, he's going to have, they're utilizing his scientific capabilities to somehow tap into that or use it to their advantage what that is that's the big question that is the big question that is a huge question uh let's talk about um uh h- hitching a ride <laughs> in the new in this universe uh when uh, mandalorian has his his uh, first bounty and he wants to get back to his ship uh, he, he goes up to a station to get a ride <laughs> i thought this was fantastic and of course that's the first time we learned he doesn't like droids and then another guy shows up and drives him away. Now, who was this character, the speeder pilot? Oh, it's Brian Posehn, I think his name is. I can't, uh, yeah, I'm having problems pronouncing as well. He's a stand-up comedian. You've probably seen him a lot of different things. Um, He's been a lot of different TV shows, like Big Bang Theory and stuff. Um, He's, I think they they did a um, nerdy comedy tour that you can find on Netflix um, him and like Zach Galifianakis and stuff. He's very, very sort of nerdy guy who's into heavy metal, who's has a cameo as a guy driving that, which to me, it's, it, it's kind of fun. You have this guy, he's almost like, uh, he, he's like the car rental guy. On he this planet. <laughs> he's like the Avis or whatever of this planet. And he like does his little whistle and almost like a valet. <laughs> you know? 
And, uh, oh, you don't like this car? How about this one? It's called the ferryman, but yeah, he is. He's more like the Avis guy than a ferryman. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, all right. So at this point, we also see a, a creature. This is the first creature we see under the ice. Uh, he gets our poor speeder pilot guy. Uh, I thought this, this creature looked fantastic. Chris, uh, you said you were liking the creatures. Um, now this one obviously is CGI. Is it? Uh, this one, this one worked really well for you. I thought it looked fantastic. Uh, I, I thought it, it, it just, you, you could feel the presence. Um, and also I want to take one step back and make a comment about that speeder bike that pulled up. I love the vast difference between the two speeder bikes. The first one with like the droid, how it looked all pristine and new. And then the second one, when it showed up and it was like puffing smoke and like the engines were kind of like going in and out and it kind of wasn't stable over the ground. I love that little like attention to detail. There was a piece that fell off of it, yeah. <laughs> the bottom of it. <laughs> and that might be the reason why it got uh, he got eaten. It just couldn't stay going. <laughs> <laughs> but the creature was awesome. It was such a cool design and the and the fact that it was just so menacing and well just yeah just big and like scary it really reminds reminded me of like some of the large creatures that we saw in the original seer and the original trilogy especially like the giant worm on the asteroid like oh man yes yeah it was just it was just a really cool creature that i don't think we'll ever see again but man it left quite an impression at least on me yeah, I felt, you know, I felt that this creature was handled better than like some of the big creatures we got in the uh, prequel trilogy, right? That felt a little too overdone. You know, this mm-hmm. one, you know, we got to see enough of it and it didn't, you know, stay on it too long, uh, but it made it effective. And uh, yeah, I, I like it. And I uh, love uh, I love the the comment, stay off the ice. That's that's the least accurate, or that's like the least. That's the understatement uh, of the millennium. That's the, under, that's the understatement <laughs> of the millennium. Uh, great writing, great <laughs> writing. That's not the only creature we get to see, uh, right, Christopher G. Moore? We get to see what we called banthas uh, in our pre-show, uh, but we learned they're not. These are they're they go by another name. Uh, they were also previously seen in the animated shows. Uh, and uh, it's the only way to get around on this planet that uh, Mandalorian arrives on when he goes after the big bounty. Uh, and he has to learn how to ride it. And we hear about the Mythosaurus or whatever, uh, which is um, this once in canon, then out of canon, back in canon uh, now uh, creature that is part of the Mandalorian past. That's the skull symbol that you see with them a lot. Uh, but anyway, these creatures that we ride, uh, Christopher G. Moore, I, I want to hear what you thought of them. Because when they attack, they're fantastic. But you said pre-show, something about this didn't entirely work for you. Well, you know, uh, the majority of this first episode, I loved. I, I thought um, you really felt that they were in these environments. You felt their interaction with creatures you know, we're realistic, you know, like the, the creature that attacks um, the Mandalorian's feet, you know, ship, things like that. And even when we first see these creatures attack uh, the Mandalorian, that looks very realistic. But again, the one thing that they still seem to, and maybe I'm just nitpicking, maybe the one thing they still have seem to have a problem with is showing them ride. Uh, and so watching that, you know, I could sort of see that they had CGI people riding these creatures and it and there was elements of it that seemed very unnatural. And it kind of reminded me of some of the stuff from the prequels, like the the part where um Anakin's ride is in the field with uh Natalie Portman's character and uh he's riding the thing and falls off of it. And you could sort of tell it's a CGI character, and that was the one that was the one thing I was like, ah, oh! If 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 I hadn't seen that one thing, this episode would have been perfection. But that seems to be the one thing they still can't get perfectly, which is fine. Uh, if that's the only one nitpick I have with this episode, that's that works. But 
Yeah, that's the one thing that kind of irked me a little bit. I could sort of tell that it wasn't that they used like CGI people and they just weren't. It just didn't seem natural the way they were riding these creatures. There's one scene I really liked, and that's when the uh, the two of them, uh, the Mandalorian and, and Quill, the character we'll talk about here in just a hot second, uh, are riding off and they're getting ready to you know, do their journey across all the really large crusty land where it's kind of broken up like a really dry desert, but like scaled up to a thousand. And it reminded me of Luke writing uh, the Bantan, Bantans? Bant, no, I'm the, Tauntaun. Tauntauns, thank you, God. I was getting confused with the uh, the other creature. The Tauntauns, remember when the, it was kind of stop motion, right? When he was in the snow? Mm-hmm. And it, it felt that, felt like that when they were kind of going away from the camera. It was, uh, I, I, I don't know, it made me smile when I saw that. But. Well, the, the, I mean, I, I'm talking about like initially when they're riding, but when they have that whole scene where the camera's going above or showing below, that's mm-hmm. a cool scene. And they have this... The one thing that I really loved about the show as well is they have like a new person who's creating the music and yes. they have and they and they go between like some of the Star Wars tunes, but then they have this sort of heroic and they play that one they start that play that one heroic tune when they're riding across this um environment and it's like da 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 it's like it's a <laughs> it's like a like a heroic tune that they, they play at the end the end credits as well that it just really sets the tone for this series and you can sort of, and you can feel the inspiration that it has when it comes to Westerns, when they have that big heroic tune, when the guy's running, riding into the town. I love that. And I mean, it's all those type of things that like, I think that's the interesting thing about the series. Like you have that thing that feels familiar that like, Oh, this is the star Wars that I love. But then you have those elements that, that, opens it up even more to something different, something new that makes it even better because it, it's, it, it, it has that, it's almost like, Oh, I love the taste of cinnamon, but Ooh, let's add this to it. That makes it even more delicious. It's the brown sugar on top. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So let's talk about Quill. Um, Nick Nolte uh, as an Ugnaught. Um, I, I love this character. Chris Slattery, did you enjoy his introduction and his participation? And does he need to be a sidekick for the Mandalorian pronto? Um, the way you asked that question makes me feel like there's only one answer, and that answer <laughs> is, of course. <laughs> uh, I did kind of private for that, didn't I? Uh, but anyway, what was your first impression of this guy? Uh, what did you think? I, thought, I thought he was cool. Uh, he was just a... I love how nonchalant he is, how he's just like, oh, I want half, half of, half of the bounty. No, half of the creatures. Like he just doesn't care, but yet he's, but yet like his motivation is just so simple. He's never met a Mandalorian and he just wanted to be around one. Like, that's just, that's so, that's just, that's just like, it's just, ah, I can't even think of like the good words for it. But I was impressed. I liked the character. Um, it's kind of sad to see that, you know, he might not be back. But at the same time, based on the ending, he might be a character in the at least the second episode. Oh, I hope so. I want more Quill. Yes, I have spoken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a little bit of a Yoda speech pattern in some ways. He did. Uh, that might have been a hint. <laughs> there might have been a hint to the future. Uh, all right, uh, IG88. I loved IG88. Oh, yeah. oh it's not yeah, IG88. IG11. IG11. I did it. Or, oh, no. Uh, IG11. It was, uh, what do we think? What do we think? You loved him, right, Chris? I loved the character. I thought it was so well written. He was so funny, but yet so serious, but yet, but yet so, like, it just so robotic. It, like, the perfect. I know people are going to like not like me for saying this, but I think I liked this droid more than I like C3PO. Like <laughs> I just, I like this droid. I really like the way they portrayed this droid. Uh, I'm, I'm going to initiate myself destruct after that. <laughs> uh, Christopher G. Moore, uh, IG-88. Who voiced him? Come on. Taika Waititi. And what'd you think? I loved it. I, I, he's no C-3PO, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's very, very simplistic. But it, it, uh, and in the very beginning, he's very kind of dry. But I think once, uh, 
once it gets into the situation of him uh, dealing with uh, uh, the Mandalorian and how he <laughs> kept wanting to like, uh, I have to self-destruct now. No, you can't self-destruct. But I, I love I love uh, his ability to just spin around and shoot things. <laughs> I mean, he's like the perfect gunslinger in that respect. And yeah, it just made made for a very uh, it made for a very fun scene. That whole scene, uh, which the way that layout of the town, it felt like an like the old western towns, you know, almost like 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 Pueblo type. Yeah, Magnificent Seven. You know, it felt. Right, it felt very spaghetti western going oh, into town. God, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And surrounded kind by of, the enemy, and you got to shoot your way out. And, kind mm-hmm. of like some of those like episodes in season one of Westworld, where it's like all the cowboys, like oh yeah, in like yeah. the main street with the shootout. Yeah, that's yeah. I got that feeling too. It, it it's a great action sequence, and it really did. Uh, it really did own that spaghetti western style that we're talking about you know uh the samurai warriors you know uh kind of feel it uh you know you, it definitely it definitely put them in a situation where you're like well you know they might not get out of this um you know they're cornered uh self-destruct self-destruct <laughs> uh i i gotta say that they make a great team and i love how they got out of this situation Oh yeah. <laughs> if in doubt, steal the big gun. Yes. And the the bickering and the writing between them, like during the whole fight was just so well done. It's like we can split half. This is acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Affirmative, right? It's just great, you know, perfect you know, droid dialogue. I I loved it. Um you know, to give that character well, he also the way they moved his eyes on, you know, on his head. <laughs> that seems funny, but for a droid, you never know. Uh, it's, it, yeah, I just really liked how this character moved. It was so really wonderfully realized. Uh, and I liked the two of them together and it really played off well because, you know, through the whole episode, we keep hearing, you know, I don't like droids and we see why we'll get to that here in a hot second. Um, but the, uh, you know, he ends up having to team up with IG 11 and uh, that, that's, that's great writing in and of itself as well. And, uh, and well, when we get to the ending, which we're going to say for last, it uh, plays off one more time, but I, it just shows how good these characters are. When you see them, you just love seeing them and you want to see more of them. Right. Definitely. And I think that's, that's the cool thing about this. A lot of times, even with the movies, you might have throwaway characters you really don't care about, but there's a lot of these characters to introduce that you're inter- that are interesting characters that you'd love to see more of. Um, and, uh, so, and, and this is a great instance of that. You know, this is the first episode and we already have all these cool characters. We'd love to learn a little bit more about. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a, a quick detour before we get into the finale of the show uh, and talk about the other Mandalorians. Chris, were you surprised to see that there were more than just the Mandalorian in the Mandalorian? Uh, Yes, actually. Um, Because the Mandalorians as a race has been something like throughout all of Star Wars, it's been like, ooh, these are mythic, like it's like a mythical race. Like you don't really hear uh, like anything about it. You'd never, you never really see any Mandalorians. Yes, I know. Jango and Boba, they have the Mandalorian armor, but they're clones. They're not actually Mandalorians. This is the first time we're ever seeing, as far as I'm aware, unless it's in uh, the, some of the, uh, animated stuff that I haven't watched. This is the first time we're seeing a Mandalorian actually like in a film in the Star Wars universe. So it was very surprising to see that there's more than one of them. And it seems like they're bringing in like it's more and it, it may not be actually a race. It's more of a culture. And and it's like and like the it's just it raises even more questions about what mandalorians even are oh yeah and they have just answer your your question yes they have appeared in a number of the animated uh, tv shows and uh it did give a little bit of background about you know 
the the planet and where they're from and, and other Mandalorians, but not a whole lot. We don't get a whole lot. And, and they are kind of, because of their armor, uh, the special thing about their armor is that, you know, it can, re- <laughs> it can repel uh, uh, blaster shots, which we get to see a couple of times, but it also can repel uh, lightsabers, which is a rarity, right? It's a well, special metal. Unless you're Django. Um, well, yeah, there, there are some problems, but you got to have the right. Yeah. But it is, uh, that's how they came to fame is that they, you know, they could stand toe to toe to a, a Jedi. Um, but anyway, uh, that's not really the point. The point is, okay, we, we see a couple of them. Uh, we even have a conversation, Christopher G. Moore with the armorer who has interesting set of horns on her armor, um, reminded me of a certain other horned person in Star Wars. But what, anyway, what did you think of that scene and uh, the, the character of the armor and what was happening there? First of all, I do want to point out that they did explore some of the Mandalorian stuff in the Clone Wars series. Um, and in fact, uh, John Favreau played a Mandalorian terrorist on that show. Man, there you go. Because they actually explored the politics of uh, Mandalore and a lot of the civil war that it raged on that planet that killed most of the population and stuff like that. So just to let you guys know that there is, it is explored much more in the Clone Wars. Um, well, now I know I, what I have to watch. Yes, yeah. Clone Wars in our future. I think one of the one of the, my favorite scenes is the scene with the um, the armor, which at first you don't realize that it's a woman <laughs> inside that outfit. And I thought that was amazing. Um, and I love, we actually have a callback to, because, uh, you know, like... Uh, Darth Vader, you sort of could s- feel the emotions inside of him based on reflections on his helmet, like in Return of the Jedi when uh, uh, the Emperor is electrocuting Luke Skywalker, and you can see the reflection of that on the helmet. You have that scene where she's creating the the armor piece based on the piece that he gives to her, and you see the reflection in the middle part of his helmet with the fires and stuff. Uh, Just visually, that was an amazing sequence. Um, And I think that's the cool thing about this is episode is because they, they have all these different elements that they bring up uh, that starts to flesh out the story and who these people are. Um, And you see like the flashbacks of them, what the Mandalorian used to be. And you and you, you know you and it makes you wonder like who is this armor person you know and and uh, what are all these different things involving these characters uh, I don't know it just for me I think for the first time you start to instead of it just being these weird characters they throw into scenarios you actually want to know more about all these different characters and their backgrounds and where they come from and what's going on in their lives and you know what's going to happen after this. I think that's the great that's the great thing about this series. There's like so many different characters that you want to follow and see what's going on about and and uh with you know this whole Mandalorian type aspect of this this character who's like an or who used to be an orphan and get to know like you know his background and and I think they, I think he was said he was a foundling. Yeah, foundling is what mm-hmm. they call him. Yeah, and there's other foundlings there. Yeah, so there's all these different elements that they give little breadcrumbs about, and you know, you just want to sort of follow that trail and see where it takes you. Yeah, I love the fact that he basically turns over, you know, a good portion, if not all, of his money for the foundlings. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it gives that character such depth and uh, you know conflict, you know, to what he is and what he's what he's doing, or it gives him purpose and 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 uh it colors him in a really wonderful way and of course it also helps make his final decisions in this episode uh, all that more uh poignant and uh understandable right uh, so let's jump to that let's jump to the big reveal where we finally get to see the target of this big bounty this uh, the bounty that the client and Dr. Pershing want and uh, it's revealed that when they open up the little pod, that it is a Mogwai. Is that right, Christopher? 
Mogwai? A Mogwai. That's what I saw. When that, was that not a Mogwai? What was it? That was not a Mogwai. That was, that was a someone of the same species as Yoda, which yes. they never really have clarified what the actual species that is. It's uh it's actually gotten so bad that at one point George Lucas, when he was asked the question, his response was the illegitimate child of Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. So there you go. There's the species of Yoda. Because in in the whole, uh, I think in the whole sort of like this Star Wars universe, they've only actually shown two of, they've shown Yoda and there's another, a female called Yaddle. Uh, but they never really have really point out any other of that species. And, and this one seems to be the last of it, but then it makes you wonder, it's like, did Yoda get busy? <laughs> yeah, with Yodel? Did Yoda get... Did Yodel? I'm trying to be clean here. Did, <laughs> you know, do Yoda have some fiddle-faddle with Yaddle? I mean, I don't know what's what's going on here. There's a shirt in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> the, other thing, the other thing you have to consider is this: uh, this little infant is 50 years old, which means it was born before the before the epi- uh the events of the phantom menace if i'm doing my math right so like this is this is a, a being that survived the clone wars and the empire and and it's just it's crazy to that it's been in hiding for this long how does that work how are you still an infant at like 50 years old. I mean, how old was Yoda when he passed 900 away? 900 years old? <laughs> yeah, but the, I mean, does it, does it, does it that go that slowly? That's, that's a long time so to be still be a baby. <laughs> <laughs> what does IG-11 say? Yeah. Other, you know, not every species ages the same. So That's true, but that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a long time to have daycare for your baby. That's all I'm saying. That's, all, that's a lot of money going down the hole. <laughs> for, 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 for a being that's so like prescient and has such a connection with people's minds and stuff, it just blows my mind. You can still, I mean, to, for, for some, for a being to be so smart, is it, you know, it, that's process such a slow process doesn't make sense to me so i i think that the uh the little infant is a lot more um self-sufficient than we might be led on at first because at the very end uh the mandalorian reaches towards the infant and the infant like reaches back like with purpose so like et yeah well, that's I, I think any baby would do that, though. <laughs> just, I'm trying to give him a doubt. <laughs> now, now, if the baby like flipped him off or did some <laughs> other like peace signal <laughs> simple or something, uh, at least talk or something. Man, maybe the baby has the ability would, to speak. Yeah, if he, uh, would, he could be smoking a cigar, but that would be Warner Brothers, right? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> who, framed, who framed Yoda? <laughs> uh, who framed Roger Rabbit is actually on Disney. But anyway, um, <laughs> is this baby Yoda, for lack of a better term, a force sensitive? I mean, I, I think it isn't it integral to that species. My gut says that's the direction they're gonna go. I mean, may, maybe that maybe his baby carriage wasn't meant to float. Maybe he's using his force powers to make it float. Maybe I, I that's and I, I, I seriously think that's part of the reason why that that being is the bounty and why if the if the 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 um. If uh, what's his name, uh, Warner Harska, her Herzog's character, the client is, 
is actually like a remnant of the empire, it would make sense why they would have this bounty because Palpatine would want would want anything force sensitive to either be gotten rid of or join his side and 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 it would also make sense that if that uh why that scientist would uh Dr. Pershing would want the creature or the the being to come back alive if, right because if because by all can by all accounts outside of Luke this is like the this might be the last force sensitive like known force sensitive character on in the universe uh, at well, this point well and i think on top of that I, and i don't you know there's a lot of uh non-canon stories that deal with uh the empire and the em- emperor sort of like uh doing a lot of weird testing on things and doing different things that they can sort of like cuz you can only ima- you can also imagine them like if they feel like this if this uh if the yoda species is a very strong on the force type species or has all these different things and maybe they could study it and use some kind of way to utilize that you know um to some degree um because i mean it i know it's not canon but like the death troopers or any of the, the star wars horror novels ta- tapped into the emperor using testing different things to create zombies and stuff so who's to say that he might be or these people might be trying to find some way to utilize uh, this creature for their own good. I, I definitely think they, they've got some gnarly things planned for that young thing if they get a hold of it. So uh, I was surprised. I was not expecting little baby Yoda I, or Mogwai. I just did not think that was going to pop out of that egg. I was shocked and uh, happily so. It was, it was, especially when it cut from that to, uh, the, you know, the closing editing credits and the paintings and stuff. I was like, oh man, that is, that's so cool. That oh was, yeah. That was such cool. a bleak transition too. So what does this mean? I, I guess, uh, you know, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but speculate, speculate each of you, uh, Chris Slattery, what quickly as you can, what, what, what's in store for us with this show? So based on the trailers, especially with uh, the phrase, you know, your name will be known, like your legacy will be known. My guess is that is that the Mandalorian is going to do everything in his power to keep this being away from out of the hands of the Empire and give it to to whatever. uh, Whatever like faction is you know considered good in this in in these worlds um maybe that's the rebellion maybe maybe that's um maybe that's some other completely different uh faction that we don't know of yet maybe it's mandalore yeah maybe it's bringing it back to me um bringing it back so it can be uh um uh, be a part of the mandalorian race yeah that that's my guess. Yeah, uh, Christopher G. Moore, uh, what's what's your conjecture? Uh, and uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, I should say. Did you uh, get a feel of just of that right there? Oh yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of a lot of different things uh, that they used as inspiration for these stories, and uh, and I think that's the cool part of it. Is like you know is all the different things that helped inspire, uh, you know, how this storyline is playing out. So, so yeah, I, I think out of a lot of things that, um, they've made in star Wars, this is probably one of the better, uh, initial offerings that really shows, uh, that, that really shows the love for star Wars and, uh, is a love letter to that and also using that love to create something new from it as to what's going to take place after this. That's a good question. Um, I think uh, the Mandalorian is going to spill water on uh, Yoda 
the Yoda baby, <laughs> and, and it's going to create it's going to create little gremlin Ewoks. Mm, uh, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> um, no, I, 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 I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be. I think that's. I think the 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 big uh, part of this storyline is is. Uh, you have all these people that are working in this gray area and they're always willing to turn their backs on this or that. They're working for good one minute, working for bad the next minute. And you have this character who's doing all the, a lot of these nefarious things, still trying to sort of like seek redemption by doing these other things. And you have this scenario where it, there's a conflict in what he's doing and, and you know, at what point do you take a stand and realize, okay, I'm not going to do this. You know, I have, I have to go against my instincts and what I'm doing because this character is no different than what I was. And by facilitating what these other characters wanted to do, he's basically doing what these people did to him and his family when he was younger. So, I think that's the interesting thing is seeing this character, the Mandalorian character, grow as a character. You know, in a lot of these scenarios where you have these bad characters and they have to, they have they kind of grow conscious in what they're doing, and then they have to do what's right. And sometimes doing that, it puts them in an even bigger danger. Sometimes that means shooting IG Eleven in the head. Yes, Isn't that uh, sad? it is sad. sad, but he's a robot, so they can probably <laughs> bring him back to life if they need to. Now, if it was one of the other characters, a flesh and blood character, not so much like the guy that got cut in half with the door, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I love that. I love the aspect of that. They can still get away with very like violent stuff as long as they don't show blood mm. and, and they can imply it. Well, Star Wars has always done that from the cantina scene on. So, I don't uh, know if you if you watched that early cantina scene, you saw a a bloody severed arm in the first Star Wars film. Right, you did. You did see blood. All right. Well, that is our review and first impressions of the Mandalorian season one, episode one, known as Chapter One. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with one final thought, and that's going to be our favorite scene, and then we're going to say goodnight. So, Chris Slattery, what is your favorite scene from Episode One? My favorite scene is uh, after the big confrontation with the cannon at the um, when they blast down the door and the uh, IG eleven and um, and the Mandalorian are just walking into the room and Mandalorian just blasts the one guy and he goes, "Anyone else?" <laughs> As they're walking in, I just lo- I just love that. I, that's just I feel like that's like the perfect like badass good guy like moment that you can have it, um, it is it is it's, it's walking through the the swinging doors uh, you literally stole my favorite scene all right christopher g moore <laughs> uh, i gotta come up with a new one so christopher g moore what was your favorite scene <laughs> um i'll probably probably when the um uh, the creature attacks from the ice uh the ship and uh being the badass that the Mandalorian is, he just gets down there <laughs> and confronts him face to face. Um, I think that's that scene is. I think that whole, yeah, that that scene's very well crafted, and and how, uh, how it, you know, how they they're attacked and stuff, and how he deals with that situation, and it's just a good good uh, example of this character that he he's not really scared of much things. He gets right in the mess and deals with it. He does straight away. Uh, my uh, second favorite scene <laughs> is uh, when the Mandalorian meets the client. Uh, you know, walking in and seeing the stormtroopers turn around, and then the whole conversation and Doctor Pershing. That whole scene, uh, you know, four to one odds. The dialogue in there, I, I literally, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I could hang. I was hanging on every word. Uh, Werner Herzog was saying his his delivery was perfect, and this was the perfect character for him. And uh, I'm so I hope I hope we see more of him. I don't think we do, but I hope we do, uh, because uh, yeah, he's he's perfect for this uh, material, and uh, it made me very happy. 
All right. With that, uh, I th- we need to wrap this up as we are going a little over. So Chris Slattery and Chris Reggie Moore, I want to thank both of you for joining me tonight. Well, thank you for having us. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun journey uh, watching this series and talking about it with you guys. Yes, we only have to wait three days for the next uh, episode. Three days too long. Yes, and then it's going to feel like a year for the next week from the 15th to the 22nd from Friday to Friday. But uh, yeah, so three days this time. Uh, all right, guys, let's say good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.